The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, dukkha, suffering, is both everywhere and super obvious, but it's also kind of shocking that there is suffering. There's something shocking, startling about that, at least startling to our nervous system. And when there is some hard moment, find there's a part of me that can like barely believe it. You know, like of course I know I contemplated dukkha a lot, right? But there's a little part of some naive part of my mind is like, how is this happening? You know, and we can have that sense of like. How did the the universe conspire to do this to me, this moment? And it might be just like some small ache, you know. Hala Alian, um, poet, um, psychologist and poet, wrote a kind of grief poem. This is, I think it was published in September, October of 2020. So pandemic, George Floyd, election, uh, staggering amount of dukkha. And uh, one of the lines in that poem was, um, uh, the patients who come to me swarmed with misery and astonishment, their hearts like newborns after the first needle. Hearts like newborns after the first needle. Dukkha can feel like that. The Buddha asked that we we comprehend suffering, that we comprehend suffering. I somehow like that translation, comprehend suffering. Uh, the, the act really, of comprehending suffering highlights the necessity of love. It is sometimes I feel like, yeah, the first noble truth that there is dukkha contains the next three in a way to really compre- comprehend suffering. That is to, uh, to know the necessity of love, of compassion. Otherwise, we just kind of armor up and try to make the first noble truth vanish or we crumble, collapse. So the the alternatives, when, when I think about it, the alternatives to love really are something like hate and apathy. Those are the alternatives. And so while we we have some details to work out, no doubt, uh, the path is actually pretty clear. 
compassion is um, is love in the face of dukkha, the wish that it be uh, that it be alleviated, and part of compassion is coming to a more nuanced understanding of our own of our own suffering. We first comprehend our own suffering. And so often we we kind of, you know, without training, we basically misdiagnose our own suffering. You know, it's just like people are trained, a doctor, whatever, trained in differential diagnosis or something. Um, and we have to train in diagnosing our own suffering too, um, because our habit is to embrace monocausal models, yeah, like single cause. This is what's doing it, yeah. This is the source of my suffering. And the Buddhist uh, psychology invites us into a much more complex map of causality. It's, it's almost never just just this yeah our mind gets seduced into that but as we practice more we start to appreciate the complexity of causality so we're not highlighting just this you know um we have that fantasy if i could just pull that one thread the whole thing unravels but our dukkha is um a testament not to one thing but kind of to everything and if we have the wrong diagnosis we can issue the wrong treatment so often um, we want to um, control our suffering rather than understand it and um, Compassion makes us patient in our understanding, makes us patient in our understanding of suffering. The, the compassion, the love of which I'm speaking, it's not a kind of enmeshed love. It's not emotional contagion. In that first phase of taking in the suffering of another kind of the willingness to grieve with them. Um, we're not, we're, it's, it's not this pure emotional con, kind of contagion. And my, my conditioning around love is a kind of enmeshed model or something. It's like your pain is my pain is your pain and love and space are somehow intention rather than space affording room for love. And so I've found that um, the, the suffering, um, the suffering of loved ones spins me, spins me in particular ways. And, uh, my words maybe some you know might masquerade as compassion 
But what they really testify to is the my intolerance of their pain. Yeah. And so it's somehow wanting to quickly manage dukkha. And makes sense that, you know, as, as children, like the suffering of a parent or caretaker or someone, it's like an existential threat, you know. And um, at some level growing up, all of us, all of us want the adult to be fully enlightened, you know, to be free of suffering, to be a kind of master of samsara, and that is not so. And um, and so maybe maybe some of that sense of threat, the the threat of the suffering of the other, encodes some fear as we grow up, have our own families, the commitments, loved ones, that the suffering of the other spins us. But compassion is not uh, a kind of insistence that someone change. It's not even an insistence that someone stop suffering. It can feel that way. But then we just need to issue our own heart love. It, it is compassion is love in the face of suffering. The uh, monk uh, Matthew Ricard and brain scientist Tanya Singer, they were doing some, you know, kind of. Uh, study where where he was in the the scanner doing compassion practice and um she's sort of uh you know this kind of exceptional being she's interested okay what's this person's brain like and um and she saw she saw that kind of brain activity and she asked them afterwards like what what were you doing you know because the brain activations, you know, looked quite different to what she expected. She had expected the kind of some of the familiar nodes that light up with when when uh, people are in a state of empathy. Yeah, the the kind of brain regions that you would see activated when you experimentally, you know, a loved one is getting an electric shock or something like that. And in empathy, we're, we're feeling the grief of the other's pain, and that's hard. But compassion might use that as a seed for generating our commitment, but that's not the last word. And then this kind of turning of the heart to love, to actually enjoying in a subtle way, enjoying. Thich Nhat Hanh said, um, true love never makes you suffer. Compassion is a form of true love. And uh, love doesn't hurt. 
Clinging for sure hurts. Controlling for sure hurts. But love doesn't. This kind of love. So we... Recognize without, without compassion, the path can feel almost, uh, sometimes like greed, more and more happiness, ease, peace for me. And so we, we center this commitment to the welfare of others. And we develop our own, uh, compassionate motivations by knowing suffering intimately in awareness. In every day, we can do this. The pain of pain, the pain of change, the pain of the disjointedness of samsara. And as we start to uh, release our own pain, uh, to comprehend dukkha, to become more and more free. The pain of the world doesn't so much resonate with our wounds, but with our heart. And um, our compassion is is vitalized, our own healing um, energizes this kind of care, makes it more urgent because we know suffering so vividly, so intimately, start to um, wish more and more naturally that it be alleviated in others. And body, speech, and mind follows. Sigur Kangchul Rinpoche said, um, secretly you have to fall in love with sentient beings. I offer this for consideration. And please um, pick up whatever is useful and leave the rest behind. Yeah. I would never say the same thing to each of you and so you, it's your job to decode uh, the beneficial from what, what can be left behind. So uh, every once in a while I have this moment with my webcam knowing <laughs> you're uh, behind it. Having one of those now. Okay.